0: It's week two of our series. This is us, and we're discovering how to have relationships together. We're getting deeper than we've ever gotten when we do this. You know, when we discover this person that we thought would never hurt us does exactly that, we're shocked, we're heartbroken. But the truth of this world, this old broken world, is that if you love someone, you're going to be hurt, and you're going to hurt them. We're too broken for that not to happen. The truth is that we're just not very good at knowing what to do with that hurt. What are we going to do with it? Look what the Bible says that God can do with it. The psalmist says, you did it, God. You turned my deepest pains into joyful dancing. Last week, we saw that the Bible and science line up. Laura and I shared some of the ways that we attach to one another, and we do it in childhood, and it carries through in our life. That's why Paul said that sometimes we have to put away childish things, remember in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. But if you remember, I'm going to give you kind of a little mini refresher in about two minutes, but if you didn't hear last week, it's so important that you get that. I know a lot of you were trying to figure out which one am I and your spouse probably already figured it out for you if you're married, you know, or or someone close to your kids already know what you are parents, you know. And you can figure that out. Even if you didn't figure it out yet, though, today is going to be a chance for you to really pick up on some things and you're going to find, it's going to be able to hone in more on where you are, okay? Remember, there's four ways we attach. In childhood, if our parents were always there for us, we end up usually having a pretty Secure is what you would call it, secure attachment. If our parents were not really there when we needed, or it was kind of a little bit of an emotional vacuum, even if they were there physically, it's likely that we have an avoidant type of attachment. If our parents were kind of inconsistent and kind of there, kind of not, or one was and one wasn't, or maybe they were a little codependent or maybe overprotective, we have an anxious type of attachment a lot of times, and if there was trauma or just parental hostility or some kind of abuse, a fearful attachment. And we learned last week that even when we go to counseling so many times, we just kind of stay on the surface and we try to do different kinds of things, learn different ways to communicate and things like that, when what we need to do is go deep and find out where we are. When we're attaching, we're asking a question, Laura's going to share that with you. Look what the, the wisest man who ever lived. He says, the real motives come from deep within a person, as from deep waters, but a discerning person is able to draw them up and expose them. That's what, Laura and I want to do this morning. We want to draw those up. We want to discern what's really going on under the surface. We want to help you discern what's going on under the surface. And we're going to recognize some things in ourselves today. They might not be pretty, but it's okay. We're doing this together. This is hitting really close to home for Laura and I, too. You know, the, the thing is, I, I just want us to have the courage to move into this. And then toward the end of the message today, we're going to learn a really simple tool, kind of a first step to diffusing some of that emotion so that we can actually connect, maybe for the very first time. And that's been our prayer for you in this series, that you will connect in your relationships like you've never known like you never have like God meant it to be.
1: And that's what we're looking for, right? We talked about that last week. We were designed and created for connection, to have that emotional connection with one another. And the key to building that emotional connection that we long for is learning how to be emotionally responsive to one another. That's the key. And I think there are three components of emotional responsiveness that I want us to see today. The first one You might want
0: to pull out your sermon notes and write these down. We've got them there for you in your guide.
1: The first component of emotional responsiveness is accessibility. Your partner's asking, can I reach you? Are you available to me? Being emotionally accessible means staying open to your partner. Even when you feel doubt and even when you feel insecure, it's being available on an emotional level. It may mean that you have to do a little bit of wrestling with your own emotions so that they don't overwhelm you and you can... Um, stay connected, that you don't start disconnecting because of your emotions. So that's the first component, just being available. The second one is responsiveness. Your partner's asking, can I rely on you to respond to me emotionally, on an emotional level? Responsiveness means that you're tuning in to your partner when they share those emotional hurts and fears with you. When they express their emotion, that you actually hear them and then you respond to them as well. I let him know that his emotions are okay, that his emotions have an impact on me. And here's the thing, feelings are just feelings, right? They're not right or wrong or good or bad. We all have feelings. And when your partner expresses that feeling to you, it's validating that. I see that you feel that. And then it's being able to send back clear signals of comfort and caring to your partner when those feelings are shared. When we respond in that way, when we respond with sensitivity and when our partner responds to us with sensitivity, it calms us both down, emotionally and physically. Proverbs 15:1 says this, respond gently when you are confronted and you'll diffuse the rage of another. Responding with sharp cutting words will only make it worse. And we've all experienced that, right? So we need to be responsive. The third component is engagement, emotional engagement. Your partner's asking, will you value me and will you stay close? Will you stay in this with me? I want you to hear the dictionary definition of engagement. Engagement means to bring together, to interlock. It's the state of being in gear. Now think about that with your car, when you put your car in gear. You're actually in the car strapped in ready to go, right? And then there's an actual physical moving of the gear and it locks into place. That's what I'm talking about here. It's physically locking into place with your partner. It's emotionally locking in and engaging. Your partner's saying, are you in this with me? And you respond with your attention Listening, you're looking them in the face, you're right there in it with you, you stay in the conversation. Maybe you hold their hand or put your arm around their back. You're giving them a guarantee that I'm in this with you. I hear that you're hurting, I hear that you have these fears, they're valid, and I'm here and I'll stay. It's so important that we learn to do those things. An easy way to remember those three things is just the acronym R A R E accessible, responsive, and engaged. That's how we want to interact with our partners on an emotional level. And remember those two questions, are you there? Are you with me? Because that's what they're asking. No matter what words are coming out of their mouth, those are the questions that they have. In a secure bond, both partners are able to seek and to give this type of emotional support. They make a practice of being accessible, of being responsive and engaged. And that's the goal, honestly, in our relationships. The problem for most of us, at least at some point, is that when conflict comes up, a trigger is activated in us and suddenly we feel hurt and we feel deserted emotionally or rejected. There's this hardwired panic that sets in in our brains and we struggle really to stay connected with our partners because everything in, in us tells us not to. This is caused by our raw spots. We all have those, right? Those things that seem to just trigger us. You've felt that before, right? They're personal particular sensitivities that come from three different things, from our Um, temperament, obviously. It comes from our attachment that we've learned, like we talked about last week. And it also comes from our relationship history, the negative experiences that we may have had in a relationship. All of that plays into it, and in us forms those raw spots. We all have them. They're all different, but we all have them. When a raw spot is touched in conversation, the feelings flare up suddenly, right? and immediately it triggers those attachment fears in us. It's a literal, physical reaction, and it can happen so fast, we can't even tell you what happened, and that panic sets in. Scientists say it takes less than two hundredths of a second for us to respond with either withdrawing or demanding, and at that point, the emotional responsiveness is totally cut, that connection is cut and we can't really get anywhere in that conversation. Have you been there before? I think we all have, right? Have you ever had road rash or some sort of scrape on your skin? And what happens when something rubs against it? It stings, right? And immediately you pull back because you don't want to feel that sting anymore. You don't want to hurt anymore. That's the same thing we do emotionally. That trigger, that raw spot is touched and immediately Everything in you says, pull back, pull back, this isn't safe. And we have to learn to deal with those raw spots when they happen. In order to stay emotionally connected, we have to learn to recognize when those raw spots are triggered. There are two signs that I can tell you that you can see immediately that a raw spot has been triggered. The first one is just a sudden radical shift in the emotional tone of the conversation. Maybe you guys were just talking and laughing and having a good time together and all of a sudden everything changed. The emotion of the conversation took a a dramatic turn and you don't even know what happened. One of you is suddenly visibly upset or enraged or maybe shut down and the other one is sitting there thinking, everything just changed, the rules of the game changed, I don't even know what happened. And they feel off balance. You know in those moments that raw spots have been hit, and it happens so quickly, even in the best of relationships. And not always in romantic relationships, it happens with our children, it can happen with a coworker or family member. I was talking to someone last weekend and they said, every time my child talks to me disrespectfully, I just go off the handle. Said it reminds me of my childhood and the abuse that I suffered at the hand of my father total disrespect of my personhood and my childhood, and I go crazy. Had nothing to do with the conversation at hand with their child, but it was very real in the emotions of that parent. That's what I'm talking about. That's a raw spot. The second sign that a raw spot has been touched is just that the reaction to a perceived offense is totally out of proportion to that offense. Whether it's words or action, it just seems way over the top. That's a sign that a raw spot has been triggered. And you know, God actually designed our bodies to respond this way. When we feel fear, and in this instance, it's fear of the relationship, the loss of connection, but our body responds with alarm. Our brains start sorting out and going through all the negative possibilities that could happen. And it's a really physical, actual response. Usually your heart starts beating faster. You may start sweating. Pressure builds up in your chest. You're breathing faster. Your body is literally preparing itself for two things, fight or flight. And you guys all know what that is, right? It's a physical response a reflex that's designed to protect us when we're in danger. It would be if you're walking through the woods and you see a grizzly bear. I mean, that's what triggers in your body, the fight-or-flight reflex, so that you're prepared by the taking in of oxygen, the sudden pumping of adrenaline, the muscles tightening so that you can take on that bear and save your life, or you can run. That's what the body is getting ready to do. The same physical system is triggered in these moments of conflict when that raw spot is triggered. It may be a dismissive word, it may be a harsh glare, maybe a particular sound, or just a tilt of a head, and suddenly you're triggered, and everything in you goes way out of line, and instinctively we're afraid that the relationship is at stake, and we get ready for fight or flight.
0: We learned in childhood and on from there Two ways of dealing with this disconnection. When we're trying so hard to connect with one that we love and, and we can't do it, we can't get connection. When we feel like it's not safe in a relationship, these things come up. Some of you are still trying to figure out, I don't know which one of those attachment ones I am, you know, and of course, if you're avoidant, when you're trying to figure out your parents, sometimes your parents, if you're avoidant, are perfect or they were. Uh, you know totally bad nothing in between usually so maybe it's hard to even see well even if you can't figure out which one of those you are at all listen to this because this is how you respond in conflict you either you do one of two things you either avoid engagement just write that down somewhere on your notes okay avoid engagement that is you try to numb your emotions shut down deny your attachment needs the other is to listen to your anxiety and fight for recognition and response. I, I'm gonna push out. I'm going to fight for this. I'm going to move toward. It seems aggressive even a lot of times. Which one of these do you use when you feel disconnected? Do you become demanding and critical or withdrawing and shutting down? Now it partly reflect, reflects our natural temperament but the key attachment lessons are learned in childhood and we continue to learn as we grow in these key relationships these important relationships in our lives and so even some of our strategies can begin to change and morph God has this amazing dance for us that he created us to dance Jesus called it the abundant life but what we do is Because the abundant life requires vulnerability, we've learned something in our broken world. Uh Uh-uh, that's not safe. So we settle for another dance. And there are three deadly dances to relationships that we tend to fall into when we're missing the abundant life. I want you just to write these down, okay? It's safer to do one of these dances of self-protection. We're not realizing that they're gonna kill our relationships these deadly dances number one I call them kind of funny things I want you to be able to know that they're serious though all right the first one is the blame boogie the blame boogie now you can see this if both in a relationship have an attachment style of anxious of the reaching out of the then a lot of times this happens fights look like Who gets to define who kind of contests, all right? Now, the blame boogie started early. Started way back in the Garden of Eden. You remember, Adam and Eve were there. Everything's perfect. Walked with God every day in the cool of the day. They ate of the fruit. They sinned. They fell. God's walking through the garden and Adam hiding from him because he's naked and he realizes it. He's always been naked, but he didn't realize it, you know? But after eating the fruit, suddenly he sees all of this. He feels vulnerable. And God says, where are you? And Adam appears and he says, I heard you walking in the garden, God, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me. And men have been doing that for many, 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 many years. Thousands of years, right? It was the woman, it was me. But the purpose of this find the bad guy kind of dance is self-protection. The main move is a mutual attack, accusation, or blame. See, when we're hurt or we feel vulnerable with our partner, suddenly we feel out of control. Emotional safety is lost. And when we are alarmed, anything that promises to give us back that control... If this is us, we'll, we'll jump at. And we can do this by defining our partner in a negative light, by shining a negative light upon them. It could also be called, it's not me, it's you dance. So we see that. This is where partners bring up detailed example after detailed example of each other's failures to prove their point. It's excruciating in counseling. It really is. When you're counseling a couple and they do this and there's one and they just break well well you know what you did and it goes in this whole thing I didn't do that part I did that you know and they get it just and it just goes on and on here's the here's the interesting thing about community of faith you know we've only been around about 15 years and we didn't have buildings in the early days and I was doing all the counseling so I'm not saying it was great counseling okay but we had to do it in Starbucks and so It was so interesting in Starbucks, you know, and you know how you listen in on other conversations in Starbucks, right? Well, you didn't even have to worry when we got into the blame boogie in Starbucks, you know, like, you know, the guy would say something like, well, you drink so much, I swear you're an alcoholic, and she says, well, you're a serial cheater, and I thought, oh, I thought she was going to say serial killer for a minute, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And then they're just yelling and it just escalates and it goes from that, you know, to, uh, uh, uh. You try to get it settled down. And so finally, that's probably the end of the session. And they would leave and I would get up and everybody's just staring at me in all the Starbucks, you know? And I'd go, folks, I love our church. Um, Fairfield Baptist, it's the best. If you all ever need to go, just go there. Um, Even if you win, you lose in this blame boogie. I remember telling one guy, he says, I know, but I'm right. And I said, I think you might be right, but you're going to be the most right, most lonely man in the world here pretty soon. The next thing that comes up, the next deadly dance after the blame boogie is the protest polka. The protest polka. This is when one of us is anxious in our attachment and the other's avoidant. This is the most common, okay? This is the one that probably you and those close to you, you might be doing this, all right? Um, Let me just give you an example of Jim and Mia. Mia says, the more he refuses to talk to me or dismisses my feelings, the angrier I get, the more I poke him. Anything to get a response from him. Jim picks up. And the more I hear that angry tone in her voice, the more I just hear that I can never please her. I just get hopeless and more silent you got to realize it's this spiral that's the enemy, not your partner, not each other. Mia is protesting Jim's distance. Jim is frantically trying to avoid her disapproval. And they talk this way because they sense an alarming answer to that attachment question, are you there for me? In the protest polka, each person in an attempt to deal with their sense of emotional disconnection, they confirm the worst fear of the other one, okay? And it's the most common deadly dance. John Gottman of Washington University in Seattle says, if this, he he did a study of thousands of young couples, he said, if this is evident early in a marriage, the chances of this marriage surviving to year five is almost nil. But then there's other couples, it seems as if they're mired in this indefinitely. This forever quality, it kind of makes sense when you think about it, because the main moves of the protest polka kind of create a stable loop. A bad loop, but a stable loop. One of the partners reaches out negatively. The other steps back, which causes the other one to reach out negatively. And you see the dance move there? And it just makes this loop, and it keeps going. Mia is hammering on the door, protesting Jim's sense of separateness. While Jim holds the door firmly shut, and he says stuff like, I just, I just don't understand what's going on. I, I feel pretty hopeless about all of this. I don't even see the point of counseling. it has got to be something. Maybe it's something wrong with me. Maybe I should have never got married. Or, or, or maybe Mia and I just, we just don't fit together. Either way, he says, when Mia says for the 10th time I'm leaving, and I say for the 10th time fine, he said, just doesn't feel very good. It feels pretty bad. And these can become so familiar, these moments, it becomes like breathing for you. You don't even know you're doing this. Some of us are going, even right now, that's not how everybody responds, because that's the way we learned to do it. For years, therapists have misguidedly viewed this pattern in terms of disputes and power struggles, and they've attempted to resolve it by offering problem-solving skills and communication skills. It's kind of like giving a Kleenex to someone you know, that that has viral pneumonia, that's not going to be a big help. In the end, what happens in the protest polka, the demanding partner eventually gives up the push and give up the struggle for connection. And they grieve the relationship and they move away. And then this leads to the very last dance. Are you ready? The withdrawal waltz, I call it. The withdrawal waltz, sometimes when a couple comes for counseling, I don't hear the hostility of the blame boogie. I I don't sense this back and forth negative thing of the protest polka. It's just what I would call deadly silence. A deadly kind of silence. If you think of a relationship as a dance, it's like both partners have chosen to sit this one out. Except there's this palpable tension in the air. There's the look. You can see that this matters to to the couple that's there, and yet... No one's doing anything about it. Each is in self-protection mode, trying to act as if he or she does not feel and does not need. Now, the freeze and flee dance, you could also call it that, It, it, it a lot of times it evolves from the protest polka. When the demanding partner, the pursuing partner, and that's still negative, when, when they stop doing that, all of a sudden, for a minute it seems like things get better, but the withdrawing partner suddenly realizes at some point, no, it's a whole lot worse. It's like hell just froze over or something, right? And and a lot of times, even the withdrawing partner will say, maybe we should get counseling, and it's too late a lot of times. At this point, partners are usually typically really polite. They're cooperative. They're pragmatic. But there's it, it's done. So what do we do? I, is there hope? How, how do we respond gently? How do we step off this deadly dance floor. Last week, we saw Chris and Tammy doing the protest polka in the church parking lot. And I want to check back in. They're going into their first counseling session. I want you to take a look. Let's see where they are and what's going on. So, this is not the end of the counseling session, okay? We're not done, but we saw a a really powerful tool. By the way, let me just tell, you guys give Chris a break in the lobby, man, y'all have been hard on him out there. Was it Tammy's fault? No. And even she's still looking at it like, I I already did this, I already, and and they're going to figure this out. But this is the start, and I want you to write this down, breathe, breathe. There's so much power in our breath for slowing us down. There's life in our breath. Why? It's God's breath. As long as there's breath moving in and out of us, that's God breath. When that God breath stops, what happens to your body? You're dead, right? Listen to what the Bible says. One day, the eternal God scooped dirt out of the ground, sculpted it into the shape we call human, breathed the breath that gives life into the nostrils of the human, and the human became a living Soul And this breath is a powerful tool to connect us to our emotions, to help us begin to get these emotions under control so we can actually figure out where we're really at, what we're really saying, what's really going on with us. It's so interesting because we feel this tension. We feel it like deep, low in our bowels, really. Science would call that like the pelvic floor right in here right in the very right in there and and it's so interesting that the old testament whenever you see the word heart in the old testament translated into english from the hebrew it's literally the word bowels did you know that see that was the seat of emotions for the hebrew people that was what the old testament said with the seat of emotions were the bowels but our English translators knew that we had gone through the romance age and all of that, you know, and we had all of these other things. And if I was to say, Laura, I love you from deep in my bowels. I love you with all my bowels. My bowels are full of love for you. Any of those things, it's just not going to work for us in translation, right? And so they moved it up to heart. But it really is bowels, and that is where we feel those feelings, okay? and our breath can ease our transition. I want to teach you a tool, okay, today, that's gonna help you. I've asked Jennifer Uherick to come. She's the head of our counseling center. She's gonna teach you right now how to breathe. Are you ready for this? You can do this, okay? Jennifer, I love Jennifer's voice. She always just puts me at ease just talking, you know, so just get a tape of her talking, you know, that would be.
2: (laughs) Okay, so we've all been there before in that moment. Maybe with your partner, but it might be with your parent or your child or a friend or even a coworker. So I want you to take just a moment and I want you to think of that person in your life that you've maybe had a little difficult with lately. Just kind of bring to mind maybe one of those conflicts that you've had. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to teach you that breath work that we were doing on the video. There's three really simple steps. The first one is that we relax the pelvic floor. Now that may sound a little strange to you, but let me explain why that's so important to do. So our pelvic floor, think of the hip area, what it's doing is it's like the emotional warehouse. We hold all of our emotions there. And so when we get stressed out or tense or emotional, it tightens. And as it tightens, it activates the vagal nerve, which is attached to it and goes straight up the spine and triggers, like a light switch, the fight or flight mechanism. So by relaxing the pelvic floor, you're relaxing that nerve, and it's flipping that switch back off again for us. So not many people know about that step. It's a really simple step, easy to do. So we're going to do it right now. What you do is you tighten that area. You just kind of focus your attention on the hip area, and you tense and hold for two seconds. And then you relax. And then you're going to repeat it one more time. So tense, holding it for two seconds and then relaxing. Okay, now we go on to step number two. Slow, deep, diaphragmatic breathing. Now diaphragmatic breathing is when we bring that breath all the way down nice and slow to the seat beneath you. When we're in fight or flight, that breath is gonna wanna stay up in your chest, in the upper chest area. But by keeping it there, you're going to either hyperventilate or you're gonna get more emotional. Either way, that's not what we want. We're wanting to calm it all down. So we wanna breathe slow and deep until you feel the lower belly area starts to move in and out. If it's still tight there and it's not moving, tense it again, and then notice what it feels like when it relaxes so that you're aware of that and attentive to it. Okay, now, I want you to do that for me right now, and I'm gonna continue to talk a little bit, but start that slow, steady flow. Just like the waves in the ocean, they rise and fall, right? Start to get that going slow and steady. Now, when you're home and you're practicing or at work, wherever you may be, sometimes you're going to be doing that breath, and you're going to be trying to calm down, and it's not going to be working. So the only reason that's happening at that point is because you're probably just not doing it correctly. And it's a slight adjustment we're going to make. So right now, I want you to notice what it feels like when you're breathing in your belly area. But now put both of your hands behind your neck, just like you're lying on a lawn chair.
0: All right, go ahead.
2: Now, when we do this, we're guaranteeing that we're doing the diaphragmatic breathing correctly. You're raising that diaphragm up and giving that breath the ability to go all the way down. So pay attention to your belly area now. See if it feels any different to you. If it doesn't feel any different, you were doing it right the first time, you're good. But if it does feel different, you probably want to do it this way when you're trying to calm down until your body gets used to doing that.
0: I'm going to be walking around like this for a few days, probably.
2: (laughs) Okay, so now keep doing that slow, deep breath. If you want, your arms can stay up. Whatever's most comfortable to you, I want you to do now as we move forward. So our third step is moving our focus and attention to something that's detailed and yet neutral or positive. So behind me on the screen, you're going to see a nice scene. Just beautiful, one of God's creations, right? So what you do in your mind is to yourself, you're going to say what you see, okay? You're going to, for example, I'll demonstrate that. I see fuchsia-colored flowers in the foreground, and I see beautiful blue and green water all the way across the scenery, and pine trees, tall pine trees all across the scenery as well. Now, when I do that, what I'm doing, and the reason we take that step is because our focus when we are in fight or flight is laser focused on the source of what we perceive as threatening. But our partner or our friend, whoever that is, is not a grizzly bear. But our brain, it can't differentiate between the two things when we're in fight or flight. It just thinks grizzly bear, and it starts reacting to that. But that's not what we're dealing with. So you focus your thoughts, and it helps your thoughts get unstuck, from that thing you're dwelling on, which usually is like blaming somebody else or focusing on what you think they've done wrong. But we're not able actually, when we're in fight or flight, to think about ourselves and other than just self-preservation, okay? Now, so keep doing your slow, deep breath. And what I want you to do for a moment now is to start to close down your eyes. Just find a nice restful state, and I want you to start to move your focus and attention inward now, deep down within yourself. I want you to take a moment and connect. Unite yourself with the Holy Spirit who lives within each and every one of us. And I want you to take this next moment to ask him for what it is that you need with that person in your life you might be struggling with. Maybe it's just the ability to be patient or kind, or maybe it's to be able to not speak and to listen better, or maybe it's the courage to speak and share yourself more vulnerably, or maybe it's just to give it all to God and ask Him to take over. Whatever that may be, I want you to take a moment and do that right now. Okay, and gently opening your eyes now. So what I'm gonna do now is just a quick review for you so that you remember there's three steps. So the first thing we have to do, this is like the bonus step, is stop. Remember, when we're in fight or flight, everything in you, all the chemicals in your body, all the adrenaline is going go, it's going fight or flight. It's not going to want to stop. It's gonna to wanna to fight or just shut down and go numb. So we've gotta be intentional about stopping. And you have to practice that to get it. If you miss it a few times, don't worry about that. Just keep practicing, it'll come. Now, our three steps, relax the pelvic floor, slow deep diaphragmatic breathing, and then focusing our thoughts on something that's detailed, yet neutral or positive. And that's it, you're good to go.
0: Thank you, Jennifer. I get the privilege of watching y'all do that, you know, and it's always great because the, the anxious ones are, are going like, this is great, isn't it, honey? And the avoidants are going like, I am not doing this, you know. <laughs> so, it's, it's just interesting to watch and to see how we react to each other.
1: Hopefully, by now, you've been able to identify your attachment style that we talked about last week, those things you learned as a child and now you've seen what maybe your deadly dance is, what you and your partner typically engage in, but also that you can see you're both um, really wanting to connect, that that's the emotional need that you have. And now the goal is to look for that underlying conversation, not what your partner's saying, not their words or even their uh, physical expression, their body language, but what's below the surface. The first step, like Jen said, is to stop and to breathe, but the next thing is just to learn to slow down. You know, that fight or flight response happens instantly in a fraction of a second and our emotions move fast. But if we can slow down, if we can hit the pause button just for a minute, it helps us be able to look below the surface to change our perspective. You know, every argument, every fight, every screaming match you have with your partner, with your child, whoever it is, it's not because they don't love and respect you. They may be acting unloving and disrespectful, but the issue is disconnection, that fear of losing the connection, the emotional connection you have with that person. And when we pause, even for just a moment, and remind ourselves, my partner wants to be emotionally connected to me. I wanna be emotionally connected to them. It gives us the time to choose to make that emotional connection with one another, to make the choice. So instead of jumping to that deadly dance, I can choose to be emotionally responsive like we talked about earlier. When your partner withdraws, like Tammy did in the video, under the surface of their heated reaction, they're usually thinking thoughts like, I failed again, I can never do it right, I can never make her happy, I won't bother anymore, what's the use? And you heard Tammy say those things, right? They may appear shut down or angry, but their emotions are feelings of rejection, inadequacy, failure, overwhelmed, shamed. Remember, they're looking for the answer to their question, are you there? Are you with me, will you stay in this with me? Unfortunately, the pursuing partner usually follows in Mia's footsteps and think, if I don't push and push, we would never be close. It would never happen. And they end up pushing and pushing so much that they push that one they love away from them instead of drawing them in close. That's why it's important that we learn to slow down. When the protester pushes and pursues their partner, he or she is usually thinking things like, she doesn't care about me. He doesn't want to be with me. I'm not important to her. She doesn't see me no matter what I do. You saw Chris say those things, right? They may lash out with harsh words, but below the surface, they have emotions of hurt, abandonment, feeling deprived, unimportant, invisible. Those are serious feelings, right? Again, they're looking for the answer to the question, are you there? Are you with me in this? Their withdrawing partner often follows in Jim's footsteps, thinking this way, I don't feel that I need anyone like she does. I'm just not as needy. I was always taught that it's weak to let yourself need someone. It's childish to be that way. So I handle my feelings on my own. I just walk away. But if we could slow down for a minute and take another look at our partner with eyes that see below the surface and choose to be emotionally responsive, things change. It's different. I'm not saying it's easy, and I'm not saying it's risk-free, but the risk is worth the loving connection that will come. And I promise you guys, this works. It changes things. Just a couple of nights ago, Mark and I were talking at the end of the day like we always do, just talking about the day and what happened and how we were feeling and just sharing things with one another and suddenly it was as if the air was sucked out of the room. I mean, immediately everything changed. I'd said or done something that triggered Mark and I really had no idea what it was. It was so sudden and so strong that he actually physically turned his back on me. And I saw all the muscles go tight in him, and he started sucking in breaths of air. And I recognized I just hit a raw spot, and Mark's been triggered. I had no idea what it was, no idea what I had done. And my usual reaction would have been one to immediately shut down the the. Uh, coming of these strong emotions in him would have scared me to death. I can't handle that, I can't deal with that and I would have immediately cut it off. But because we've been studying all these things for the last several weeks, I recognized what was happening. And I made a conscious choice to say, you know what, I need to stay engaged. This is an important moment. Mark wants to connect with me. I want to be connected to him. And I started kind of coaching myself saying, Laura, don't walk away, don't shut down, take a deep breath, relax, this is gonna be okay, you're gonna get through this to the other side, offer grace, offer mercy, stay in it with him. That's what he needs you to do. Essentially, I told myself the truth. And when he was ready, Mark started to talk and he started to share and we were able to get to the other side with both of us feeling Loved and connected and closer than we were before. It happens all the time. And that hasn't always been the case.
0: Maybe that was the first time.
1: (laughs) Maybe. But my point is that we can learn to get there. We can all learn and grow. I've learned and grown. And Mark has too. We don't have to stay in the deadly dance. Our relationships can get better. We can have that emotional connection that we long for when we learn to be emotionally responsive. You know, when a child cries, we respond, right? Because we see that that baby is vulnerable, that they have needs, that they don't threaten us when they cry. If we could somehow ever remember that we're all just grown-up children, we're all little kids inside, we're all hurting, and we're all still fighting and crying out for connections so that we can survive. We get into these deadly dances trying to connect and relieve our fears. But that's why it's so important that we stop, that we breathe, and we slow down and look below the surface. Because when we do that, we have the time and the ability to choose to be emotionally responsive.
0: You know, I didn't realize that I'd actually turned my back on Laura, but I knew that I felt really deeply hurt in the moment. And um, usually, she would have just shut down and... Walked away because it's too much emotion and, you know, I figure it's a couple of days before we can actually even talk about anything about that, you know, if 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 we ever do. But as I was there and breathing and I didn't even realize what was going on except that I felt really hurt and suddenly I felt her come up beside me and she began to just kind of stroke my arm. Everything changed in a moment, it was like she's here, she's with me and I was able to go. Into that, into even like a a place that we had never really gotten to before, and talked to her about how I was feeling and the vulnerabilities that I felt and what was going on. And it's so amazing when you get there, it's so incredible. It's what we long for. And I want this for you as your pastor. I don't want anything less for you in your relationships. Even God said it this way put that verse up there. It says, Be still. And know that I am God. Calm down, rest, stop. Look at how it's put it in another translation. Put that up there. Surrender your anxiety, be silent, and stop your striving, and you will see that I am God.